Well, it is a privilege. I'll dismiss the kids in a second, but I did just want to say, because our kids are in here, a huge thank you, and what a privilege it has been to be the youth pastor here for the last seven years. Um, It's been an amazing journey of how God has led us, and uh, this is, for real, my last time preaching. Some of you heard that last time. You're like, wait, I thought you were done. I was like, no, this is the official last time. Next week, I will, you know, be a full-time missionary, as Pastor Chuck talked about. So, It has been an honor, a privilege, a blessing, an amazing point to where you as a church family have surrounded us and walked an amazing journey with us and allowed me to have ups and downs as parents in the ministry have uh, journeyed with us, as leaders, there are many leaders that have gone with us and walked the journey with us and gone through those ups and downs as well. And then to have kids here and be blessed to uh, call this our home church and to know that going forward we'll still do the same thing. And so that's awesome moving forward. But just wanted to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts as a family um, for all that you have done in the last seven years and pouring into us. As Pastor Chuck didn't say at this service, but he said in the last service that I was a young punk coming in. And so that was kind of funny for him to say that. And it's been cool to be under his leadership and Pastor Doug's together and to grow and to be sharpened in so many ways and challenged. And so I just want to say thank you to you guys and to the staff and the elders as well um, on behalf of that. So it's a lot of change. Got to take a deep breath. Got to think this through in terms of preaching and, by, you know, giving my all in the midst of the craziness, of the chaos, everything that's been going on in our lives these days. But um, I'm just excited to bring to you God's word this morning and to have you open that with me together. We're on a summer theme together, the 100 days of summer. Speaking of choices, connectivity, and changes. At this time, I'm going to release the kids. Thank you for that. My wife just gave me the signal. So the kids, you can go ahead and leave. And we were talking about choices, connectivity, and changes in a summer theme together. And there's probably been a lot of choices, a lot of connections, a lot of changes have already happened in your lives. And today we're going to focus on a couple of those, but we're going to look in Scripture specifically. And the grads have just walked this journey specifically. They've taken choices throughout their high school career. They've made drastic changes, and things are about to get even more crazy for them in their world. But at the same time, as that's happening in the graduate's world, it's also happening in our present world. And the fact that we commemorate a significant day on Friday, June 6th, of what happened in our world 70 years ago. The anniversary, and this is the Daily Mail from Britain, that said our armies in northern France are in northern France. This historical moment, 150,000 troops would hit the shores on that day. This is the largest amphibious landing that would happen in military fashion. Gigantic still is huge to us today, so much so that we celebrate on Friday. But there was so much more that happened in that. And I want to talk about a story about one man, talk about a story about one man who really just articulates and really shows a model example of where we're going in the scriptures this morning of a person who served his country wholeheartedly. Wearing dark clothing, he crept up the beach and got to within 40 yards of German soldiers while he examined deadly bombs they had laid. He discovered wooden poles with anti-tank mines on top, positioned along the shoreline that would have been hidden at high tide and devastated landing craft. John Stone was a mine expert who carried out a daring reconnaissance mission of the Normandy beaches just before the D-Day landings. In a 2000 interview, Mr. Stone recalled the mission and said this, his team was taken by motor torpedo across the channel and they got into a dinghy to make their way ashore at nighttime. Escorted by commandos, the three engineers crept up the beach to inspect the defenses. Mr. Stone said, it did not go all to plan. 
When we got into our dinghy, it capsized, and we had to wade the rest of the way. He added this. We saw sentries patrolling, and we got to within about 40 yards of one smoking a cigarette. I could smell the smoke. A searchlight passed over us several times, but they never saw us. The group identified the mines as anti-tank devices on the shore. Mr. Stone said this. If they had gone in at high tide, it would have knocked the bottom of the landing craft out and sunk them before they even got to the beaches. As I understand it, the information we brought back led to the timing of D-Day being changed from high to low water, and our measurements showed our tanks were able to go between the poles on the beach. Upon his return to England, he was debriefed, and his intelligence made Winston Churchill and Dwight D. Eisenhower change the invasion from high to low tide to avoid these traps. As a result, thousands more soldiers made it safely to shore along the beaches, the five beaches in Normandy that day, giving the Allies a strong foothold on Nazi-occupied Europe. For his bravery, as pictured here, Mr. Stone, who was a 22-year-old sapper lieutenant, was awarded, to, awarded the Military Cross, the highest honor you could receive. He also received a congratulatory telegram from Winston Churchill. He recently passed away at the age of 89 in 2011. Mr. Stone was a modest man, and his wife, Nora, at 87, married him in 1946, said she only, he only spoke quietly and of the heroic moments when asked. And she was a very, very proud wife of his. A man who served his country wholeheartedly. A man who went on an espionage mission and gave 100% and was all in. Who gave his life 89 years old later in life to sit there and say, this is what I was a part of, making history. And so it begs the question for us this morning, and this is what we're looking at. If you take your bulletin, the main question in the middle and the sermon on the notes is, am I all in? What does it look like to be all in? Graduates, you stepped across the finish line. You said, I'm all in. Transition, change in life, you often have to say, you know what, commitment time, I'm all in. What does that look like, and how do we flesh that out? There are three elements to this that I want to talk about. Being a learner, being a servant, and being a storyteller. I think God has given us those three aspects to say, how do I walk through change? How do I make decisions and choices? And how do I make connections by being a learner, a servant, and a storyteller? And so if you take your notes there, we're going to be focused on a passage that you hopefully you've been journeying with us on the 100 Days of Summer reading plan, where you should be in Numbers. Interesting book. Not the first book I would pick, but since Pastor Doug gave me the passage, I was like, okay, here we go. So, Numbers 13 and 14. If you want to turn your scriptures there, that's where we're going to be looking. We're not going to read all through this because, again, hopefully you've already pre-read this. And also, it could take us a long time. We'd be here for a while. But we are going to focus on one verse specifically. That is in chapter 14, verse 24, where it speaks of a man much like John Stone named Caleb. And this is what it says. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will get, bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. And so here we have God talking about Caleb, a great honor, a man wholeheartedly following who said, I am all in. The life of Caleb. That's who we're going to be looking at specifically in this passage and looking at how he made choices, how his decisions were made, how he learned, how he got to tell stories of what God had done. But before we do that, we need to look at Numbers 13 and understand the background. And so in your, in your notes there on the left side, we've got the context. And I'm just going to walk through this to give you a context as to what we're setting up with the life of Caleb. The first thing is to note is that the two years after the Exodus, this is happening. So the, the Egyptians have, uh, the Israelites have fleed the Egyptian armies. They've gone out. 
They are now about to enter the promised land. They're on the edge, the southern edge of the promised land, ready to go in the place, a place called Haran. God has been faithful to them. He has looked at Abraham, Genesis 12, and said, I will give you this land. It is a promise. It is for sure. And this is what they have to hold to. Then Numbers 13, we jump in here, verses 1 to 3. This is determined to be prudent to send some spies on ahead. So Moses does exactly that. But what exactly is their mission? What is Moses calling them to do? Well, in Deuteronomy, if we turn back there, we see these three pieces that that Moses is calling them to. First of all, spy out the land. Second of all, report back on the route of entry. How are they supposed to get in? So hopefully you're seeing this little bit of an analogy to what D-Day would have been like. What are the things we need to know? Will our tanks be safe? Report on cities and strongholds of the land. Where are the men? Where are the giants that we've heard about? Where are these different nations that are warring against us? 13, 4 through 16 says this, that there will be one man selected from each tribe, and that's where scripture goes. And basically, Caleb and Joshua are two of the 12 that are chosen at this time. 13, 17 through 20, the mission is described and given by Moses. This is what you are called to do. 13, 21 and tw- through 24, the route and some findings after 40 days. 40 days these spies were out. Can you imagine being the people of Israel walking around, wandering for 40 days? When will the word come? When can we go? It must have been like the military back in that time. We've heard about an invasion. We've done some things that have showed the Germans were coming. But when are we going to go? When are 150,000 soldiers going to land on the shores of France? It's an exciting time. It's a time of anticipation. What is God going to do? So in 13, verse 25, the spies return after 40 days of being out. But the funny thing is, they report back, and they report factual things, but there's an unbelief and rebellion that is caused by these men, by 10 of the 12, and caused rebellion among the people of God. 14, 5 through 10 then, Moses, Aaron, and Caleb attempt to quiet the people. Notice there that Joshua is not involved. Joshua is the military man, but Caleb, this is his time to shine and speak up, to be the man who is following God. 14, 11, 12, 20 through 23, God's judgment is announced. 14, 13 through 17, Moses' intercessory prayer, where he calls out God and says, God, you know what? You're about to judge. You're about to wipe out this whole nation, all these people. And Moses intercedes and says, do not do it. For your glory alone, do not do it. People are watching. And for your name's sake, do not wipe out these people. 14, 24 then, we come upon this promise. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land and he, that he went to, and so his descendants will inherit it. So the first piece to look at when we look at the life of Caleb is to understand three things. The first being he possessed a different spirit. Different spirit. That is a little S, not a large S as in the Holy Spirit. This is a spirit that would be disposition, his character. He was a man that was above reproach, a man who was a learner. So in the parentheses in your notes that I'm seeing a lot of you fill out, not really, but in your notes, you can fill out in the parentheses the word learner. So he has a different spirit, learning spirit. He has a willing, devoted obedience. Others were factual. They brought the report as it was, but he did, they didn't have the faith. They lacked the faith that he brought. A spirit of faith and hope is what Caleb would bring. And it's interesting in our lives and in our journey right now, as we venture to Mali and as we think about missions and all these pieces that are happening, many people are bringing us the facts of what's happening in Mali. They're bringing us the dangers. They're bringing all the fears, all the worries for us. And it takes our faith to say, you know what? 
God is going to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine through this. And that's what it takes because people will doubt. You see, we look at God so many, so many times through the lens of our problems rather than looking through our problems through the lens of God. We don't see God first and then our problems. We see our problems first and then, God, what are you going to do with these things? And that's exactly what's been shown to us in our journey right now as missionaries, jumping into the step. Do you see this? Do you see this? Do you see this? Do you see this? And we have to say, God, we know you're in control. And we see God, and then we see the problems that are out there of what he's called us to. Caleb came to the front lines and called out the people. I love it. In verse 30, he says this. Then Caleb, in chapter 13, verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Notice he doesn't say we should conquer the land. We should take over the land. We should take the people out. Instead, he says, we should possess the land. He understands by faith that God has given him this land. God has given this people this land. So let's go possess it. Let's take it. It's like Braveheart. I was going to throw that clip up, but we didn't have time. My favorite movie. The clip where Braveheart comes from the back lines and walks across the front and starts calling out the sons of Scotland. We can do it. And they're like, well, we can't. They're too strong. And then he says, you know what? When you're laying on your bed later down the road and you're thinking about all the things you could have done, do you understand the faith that it takes to step out and to make a move for God? So the second thing then is that Caleb followed God wholeheartedly. Read about this in verses 6 through 9. He followed God wholeheartedly. He was a servant. First of all, he had to learn. Then he had to serve God with everything that he had. So the people start grumbling, and they say, you know what, let's pick another leader. Let's get out of here. Let's go back to Egypt. It was way better back then. Can you believe the people are doubting? So much to the point that Caleb then steps forward and calls them out in this way in verses 6 through 9. He says this, The land we pass through and explore is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the people of the land, of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Twice, he says, do not fear. He has a selfless spirit of doing all things for God's glory. God will get the victory. God will be in control, and God will gain everything. Some people want to go back, but they want, and they want the reward without the labor of actually pressing in and going forward. Caleb holds fast to the word of God, the promises that have been shown, not just to him, but to this nation through Abraham. Even when others doubt, he pushes forward. Psalm 119, verse 32, like, the, like David says, the psalmist says, my soul clings to you, my soul follows hard after you, my soul longs for you. It's much like that with Caleb. My heart is fully all in, 100%. So he follows God wholeheartedly and is a true servant of the Most High God, a servant of Moses, a servant of all who God has put in charge of him. The third aspect then is this. In Numbers 14, 24, that he received God's approval. Nothing greater than that, to receive God's approval. This meant that he had a story to tell. He could tell people all that God had done in the promised land and through him. Because of these words, my servant Caleb. But because my servant Caleb. What a great honor that if God were to say to us, because my servant Dave did this, I will give him. In order to understand this concept of what was exactly given to him and how much he found God's approval, 
we need to now turn to another passage in Joshua chapter 14. And if you haven't figured it out already, Pastor Doug is set on the 14s of the Bible through the summer. That's where we're looking a lot this summer. So we have to turn to Joshua 14 from Numbers 14 because this fulfills the piece about God's approval of Caleb and where he would go. So Joshua 14, three times here he would be told and the name would come up, the word would come up about wholehearted devotion to God. It says this in verse 8. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. That is Caleb speaking to Joshua. Now give me the land. We've entered the promised land. Now give me my portion because I, however, followed the Lord wholeheartedly. I'm one of the few. It's me and you left from that former generation. Everyone else has been wiped out. Give me the land that was promised to me. And then it continues on. The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance. This is Joshua now speaking to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. Joshua is encouraging him and saying, Caleb, because you did this, you now have it. And then the last time this is referenced is then in verse 14. Because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Again, the fact that Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly. It's almost like Matthew 25, 23, when Jesus will say to us, for those of us who have served him wholeheartedly, well done, good and faithful servant. But I love this passage because it's interesting how Caleb does not just want to enter the land easily. If you go back and look here in Joshua 14, verse 10 through 12, he says, Now give me this hill country that the Lord had promised that day. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous. Don't give me the easy route. I am 85 years old. Give me this land. Let me take the challenge. Let me take it higher to the mountainous areas and walk up this journey and fight this battle and take the land that God has given me. So a couple questions to fill in, things to think about as we apply this passage to our lives and think about the wholehearted devotion that God has for us of him. Because I have followed the Lord wholeheartedly, to look at that blank and to put my name in there, can you answer that honestly? That I have followed the Lord wholeheartedly. If you can, put your name in that blank. The second aspect then is because you have followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Who would you say that to? Who would you call out in that manner? That's what Joshua did to Caleb in this point. For me, it's an impact person. A person that comes to mind for me who follows the Lord wholeheartedly is my father-in-law, your senior pastor. An impact person who follows the Lord wholeheartedly, consistently. And because of him, the generation that follows is now passing on that legacy. And I hope it continues, and that's my prayer. Because of him following the Lord wholeheartedly. Then the last piece is because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And this is said by the Lord. Again, Matthew 25. Will God be able to say that of you? That because you followed me wholeheartedly, I am now going to give you this blessing. What is that that God is giving you? What is he longing for you to have? What promised land is he asking you to step into cross that line, make the choice, make a change in your life, have some connections to people so that he can say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. The only way that's going to happen is by knowing Jesus Christ, connecting with him, having a change in your life and making that choice. So the last piece here as we look at this together, through change, we learn. Through choice, we serve. Choices, we serve. Through connectivity, we have, a tell, we have a story to tell. 
Anytime we walk through that, and what we're walking through as a family right now, through all the changes, God, what are you teaching me? How can I learn? Look at the Warkins going through what they're going through. All the things that they have learned through the changes recently. The choices. The choices are out there. They're innumerable right now. Are you doing this? Are you doing that? All these different questions and so many choices that April and I just go, oh my word, this is crazy. But we still desire to strive and serve God with everything that we have. Are you serving in amidst the choices that are all around you of what comes your way? Through connectivity, to tell your story, to connect with other people and say, you know what? This happened in my life. This is what God did through my learning, through my serving, through the experience he gave me. So the question to wrap up with this is obvious at the bottom. So am I all in? Do I understand what it means to be all in with Jesus? And the next piece is this. Will I choose to focus on what is lost or on what I gain? In today's society, we focus so much on the negative. We focus so much on what we lose. If you were to tell a pregnant woman what she's about to lose, it's brutal. And we've, we've all been there for those of us who have had pregnancy. Not me personally, but just had kids. You hear you're going to lose your date nights. You're going to lose your freedom. You're going to lose this. You're going to lose that and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, you know what? It doesn't matter. Through all of those changes, you have gained a child. You have gained a miracle. So we think about it for our lives, and we say, you know what? How much am I willing to lose? Dave, you're going to lose your house. Dave, you're going to give up all these things. You're going to lose this, 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 and this, and this. And the only thing that keeps us focused as a family is what we are going to gain. How much greater to gain a convert, a person who comes to know Jesus Christ in a 98% Muslim country such as Mali? How much greater to see a church planted where the church is dying in a country called Mali? That's the gain. That's the stuff that we talk about. That's the stuff that I pour forth with my girls. Where is Africa? What's it all about? What is God doing there? Girls, what are we going to gain by going? What is God calling us to? Not just what we're losing, but what are we gaining? Think about that. Focus on that. If we flip over in the scriptures, I love to wrap up with this passage. Philippians 3, verse 7, where Paul summarizes the gain versus the loss. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. What a passion Paul had. He didn't think about the things that he had lost. He only thought about what was gained. So as we focus on coming to the Lord's table today, I want us to think about what Christ Jesus did for us, how he gave up everything. He lost everything in a way to gain humanity back to him through, son, through, God, through God's son, Jesus Christ. And as we consider this, I want us to look at this video clip to set our hearts straight for the communion time, for the time at the Lord's table to, set, to celebrate this together. And so I'd encourage you to reflect on this, think about it, and consider what God did for you 
how God said, I am all in for you. So much so, I would give my son, Jesus Christ, to gain you for all of eternity. Check out this clip. The attitude of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The ultimate person, Jesus, said, I am all in. I have chosen to focus on what is gained rather than what is lost. It's a powerful illustration. And unlike the, the incident that seems to occur in the video of an, of an accident, it was no accident what Jesus Christ came to do for you and for I. To think about God giving his son, to think about us being on the train, going through life, so busy, so enjoying the company of others, that we don't think about what it means for the heart of the Father to break, to give of himself, for you and for me. So as we come to the Lord's table and as the men come forward and serve us the bread this morning, I want us to consider that. I want us to reflect on Philippians 2. I want us to reflect on Hebrews 9. There's two passages right there, Hebrews 9 and Philippians 2, for you to consider as we come to the Lord's table and as the men serve the bread. So men, would you serve